Stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, visit www.3cr.org.au. Because we got the alternative energy right. making our free autonomy. And welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Hi, my name's Mara. This episode of the Radioactive Show was recorded and produced on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people with 3CR Melbourne. Today we hear from Lee Tan, who is working with AidWatch to stop the radioactive activities of Australian rare earths company Linus in both Western Australia and Malaysia. Hi, I'm Lee Tan. Uh, I have been a long-time environmental campaigner in Australia, but uh, predominantly focusing on... um, Asia-Pacific environmental issues and concerns. Um, I'm currently working with AidWatch in Australia, looking at um, the rare earth operation of uh, an Australian company, Linus Rare Earth. Linus is a rare earth mining company um, listed in the Sydney Stock Exchange with the headquarter uh, now in Kuala Lumpur, although it was once in Sydney, it, it owns a rare earth mine in Western Australia at Mount Weld. Um, and it sends its rare earth concentrate from Mount Weld through the port of Fremantle to the port of Kuantan, some 6,500 kilometres away, for uh, the secondary... Uh, processing into oxides, chlorides, and um, carbonate. And that's not the pure rare earth element that's used in um, you know, high-tech applications. It has to be sold uh, either to Japan or China or both for further refining. Now, the rare earth processing is a very highly hazardous uh, industrial processing It has to go through several stages of chemical processing at extremely high temperature. And the resultant of that is, um, you know, rare earth oxide and carbonate and also chlorides, as I mentioned before. But it also leaves behind huge amount of waste that that are contaminated to different degree of uh, radioactive thorium, uranium, heavy metal, um, and some chemicals. Yeah, and that include you know air, air discharge or gas discharge, as well as uh, wastewater or effluent. Um, yeah, and that's one of the reasons why Linus has chosen to do it in Malaysia to take advantage, um, or to put it another way, to exploit the lax environmental law enforcement and safeguards in Malaysia. What are they up to in Malaysia? At the moment, they have accumulated since 2013 about 1 million cubic metre of radioactive waste plus several million cubic metre of what they call scheduled waste, you know, contaminated waste, but not classified as radioactive. And because of that, they're running out of space in their 100 hectare plant location and they're looking for a permanent waste dump. That's also partly because the previous 
popularly elected government has um, set a condition for liners to stop bringing in any more radioactive concentrate for the plant by 2023, and that it has to either find a location to permanently and safely store the radioactive waste or to remove it from Malaysia. So recently, in late January, Linus put forward its uh, proposal to locate its radioactive waste dump uh, in a rainforest location and has kind of made its EIA document or environmental impact assessment document available on display, both through a couple of his, his offices, uh, the um, environmental department's offices in Malaysia, and also through its Facebook page. But, you know, these EIA documents cannot be downloaded by members of the public. You literally have to view it, so it's really quite difficult to do a proper review of, um, you know, 1,000-page thick technical document. So they're making it as hard as possible for people to yes. have input into the consultation process. Indeed, and that goes against the IAEA, which is the International Atomic Energy Agency, the, the so-called UN agency that's meant to be providing safety guidance to countries on um, the handling of radioactive materials for so-called peaceful purposes, although they left out, you know, all those issues such as um, long-term, slow violence from um, being exposed to radioactive materials through bad practices and so on and so forth. Anyway, the IAEA back in 2011 and 2014 emphasized to both Linus and the Malaysian government the need to be transparent in, his, in their decision-making and the need to make decision-making documents available and accessible to the public. You know, none of them actually have follow that through. They've made it really hard for people to have an input. Um, I understand that quite a few experts review that EIA. What were the issues identified by them? Yeah, there are quite a number of issues. Um, Dr. Jim Green from Friends of the Earth Melbourne stated that, firstly, Linus should have, you know, had a permanent waste disposal solution um, that is safe and acceptable by members of the public way back in 2010, 2011, before it starts operating, um, because it is not a simple um issue to try and locate a radioactive waste dump. And he, he further went on to say that um, in Australia, even 6,000 cubic metres of radioactive waste have had difficulty finding a location all these decades. And yet, you know, we're talking about 1 million cubic metres, which Linus is trying to dump in Malaysia, which is a wet tropical country where water or rainwater intrusion is a major problem. On top of that, there's soil erosion and landslide. Of course, Dr. Jim Green went on to talk about the health issues, the various international agencies that have set standards on um, radiation safety and health. Um, yeah, but none of that's kind of taken seriously either by Linus or the Malaysian Regulatory Authority. And then we have Professor Gavin Mudd and um, Matthew Carell from RMIT 
and they both very critical with the design and the location. Gavin Mudd mentioned about the inadequate design proposed by Linus, where the uh, base of the dump is lined only with HDPE, which is like your garbage bag quality plastic with a uh, 30 centimeter of clay. That's inadequate for that kind of permanent waste dump. Particularly uh, in, a, in a wet area, like a rainforest. Yeah, in a exactly, tropical area. Say, in a wet tropic. Professor Carell specifically talk about the danger of locating um, the radioactive dump in the water catchment area that supply water to the city of Kuantan. I mean, the city of Kuantan is a major city in the east coast of Malaysia. You know, many hundreds of thousands of people are relying on uh, those water um, treatment stations, which will be affected by this radioactive waste dump mm. if it goes ahead. And that's very, you know, that's almost criminal um, if you look at it from public health point of view. And, you know, we haven't discussed the long half-life of the radionuclide concern, which is thorium and uranium, which means that, you know, the area will be permanently at risk of, of contamination. How do um, the locals in Kwantan feel about it all? Oh, mixed feeling, of course. Mm. Um, there's a lot of conflicting opinions partly due to Linus' very aggressive um, greenwashing and public relations uh, exercise. So instead of dealing with the hazards from the uh, plant, Linus has invested a lot of uh, resources into convincing Malaysian that its operation is, has zero harm, zero harm, Um, When we're talking about radioactive materials and convince locals that they're getting good jobs, good pay for Malaysia to develop. They they need to have a plan like uh, the Linus Advanced Materials Plan, which is what the the Linus Secondary Processing Plant is called locally. So, and, and then it got mixed up with the politics of Malaysia where the local community is very much um, under the grip of the Islamic Party. The Islamic Party, known as PAS, P-A-S, in Malaysia was once high, very strongly um, opposed to the Linus uh, plant. And then back in 2017, it got bribed by the uh, ruling Malay Party. And so... The Islamic Party switched its position just overnight after the bribe. Um, And yes, it's horrendous. And since then, you know, its uh, members have been employed by Linus to work in the plant. And uh, when this EIA went out for review, there was a group of uh, local um, from the Islamic Party actually posted on Facebook asking, asking the government to legalize the spreading of the radioactive waste to be used for uh, agricultural fertilizer in order to create jobs. Oh, so then people could eat it. awful. That's Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. It's shocking. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I know. And, you know, this, this kind of thing happened before, both in the U.S., Europe, whatever, but they have since been 
you know, cleaning up or, or um, uh, isolated from human settlement and so on and so forth. And also, of course, in Malaysia, um, they have their own um, radioactive disaster. Through the Bukit Merah Asian Rail Company, you know, doing precisely similar stuff, yeah, back in the 70s, 80s, um, yeah, where there was very serious health issues from radiation exposure and chemical ex- exposures and so forth. And they still haven't learned, uh, which is very sad. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We're speaking with Lee Tan from AidWatch about the environmental, human rights and geopolitical problems associated with the activities of Linus Rare Earths in both Malaysia and Western Australia. Moving to WA, what are Linus up to there at Mount World? Okay, yes, because of the Malaysian licence condition, which honestly, you know, it could change depending on who is in power, Linus has to set up the cracking and leaching plant, which is the secondary processing plant in Australia to remove the radioactive component locally. So it is looking at building a cracking and leaching plant in Kalgoorlie, and it is in its a fairly early stage where it is applying for construction approval with WA EPA. Now, from what we've learned, it seems EPA is allowing uh, Linus to fast track the approval process by not requiring Linus to do a detailed environmental impact assessment, from my understanding. Um, yeah, we are quite puzzled by it all, but then again, you know, it's, yeah, there's a lot of geopolitics involved in rare earth production at the moment, because um, both because of the demand for renewable energy um, and also low-carbon technology and, and also high-tech high um, weapon technology and all of that require... Uh, different types of rare elements. It's going into renewables, but there are still all the associated impacts of pollution and potential displacement of locals and all those issues that come along with any form of extractivism, even if it's geared towards renewable technologies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the thing is you can't go for energy transition or low-carbon technological transition without really looking at the supply chain. Mm-hmm. You know, mining has always been, been controversial. And the mining industry, of course, has seized the opportunity to open up to them to exploit and shift the emission to global south country and continue down its very exploitative practices in places where they can get away with it. Yeah, which is awful, and and we should not allow that to happen. We're not going to be able to um, uh, manage climate change because the emission will still be there. It's just shifted, Mm. um, you know, from uh, rich industrialized country to poor developing um, or corrupt. The Linus um, for the the cracking and leaching plant in New Kalgoorlie is being fast-tracked with no avenue to challenge the government decisions or the EPA decisions. Why do you think that is? Partly because of the geopolitics involved in making sure that rare earth 
elements are in supply freely to the Western uh, industrialized country. At the moment, because of the pollution problems associated with rare earth production, once upon a time, USA was the major world supplier of rare earth elements. But because of all this pollution issue, it has started to do what Linus is doing in Malaysia by outsourcing the processing into China. And at that period, that was in the uh, early 80s, late 70s, China was hungry for technological development um, and had welcomed any technology transfer and so on and so on, and also at the expense of its environment and uh, workers' health. So because of that, I mean, China has strategically used rare earth by vertically integrating it to have, like, you know, basically from mine to end product supply chain within the country, and it gives it a lot of economic and political cloud in the process. Um, of course, it, you know, it has done it at great expense to region where rare earth was mined and at the expense of many of the workers who had been affected by the hazards uh, and also the farmers, the local community who's also been um, affected through, you know, contaminated water and so on and so forth. Now, since 2010, China has cleaned, well, has tried to clean up its act by imposing very strict regulatory requirements on the rare earth industry. It's uh, the world-only rare earth-specific uh, regulatory requirements. And it started, I think, the rare earth outside of China production started back in 2010 when China and Japan was embroiled in a territorial claim conflict. Um, And that's when Japan funded liners to build the Malaysian plant. And then since then, I think liners nearly went bankrupt because the price of rare earth was so low and it wasn't really making ends meet. And uh, it hasn't been able to pay back the loan Japan. And so from a commercial loan, it has now been changed into a, um, a soft loan, at which didn't have to be repaid for a long period of time. Um, and it shows, you know, how uh, volatile the financial situation of Linus is, which is dangerous insofar as Malaysia is concerned. Now, the reason geopolitics arises when uh, during the Trump era, when it got involved in a trade war with China. Um, although China didn't verbally or in any practical way indicated that it would use rails as a trade war weapon, but the West basically reacted. It may be because also mining companies are trying to play it up so that they can get away with opening new mines, getting subsidies, and also getting fast-tracking of approval from their environmental authority. So all of that, you know, play a part into why probably WAEPA is kind of also fast-tracking Linus application, which is very risky.
all of um, Linus's marketing materials is about them being the non-Chinese major producer of rare earth. So that ties in with all this anti-China business going on in Australia, backing the US blindly all the time because Absolutely. of the alliance. So there's that aspect yeah. as well. So just to clarify, the rare earths are mined in WA. They're processed at the lamp in Kwantan. They're wanting to fast-track the approval and get the cracking and leaching plant of Kalgoorlie up and running and a place to put the waste before 2023. Otherwise, they don't get their conditions in Malaysia met. So the Malaysian government is setting a timeline for the Australian approvals. And then there's the issue of the radioactive waste where they're trying to put in Kwantan in a rainforest area. But if that doesn't come through, there is that risk that people will say, well, it came out of Australian soil, it needs to come back to Australia. So is it fair to assume that potentially there is there is the risk of people pushing of to bring it back I mean, to this yeah, country? Yeah, yeah. in the, in the uh, mind of many Malaysians, Linus ought to return that radioactive waste to Australia Simply because they see Australia as a large country, which it is, mm. um, and that Australia has a huge arid desert or semi-desert area, and they have also learned that you know Australia has uranium mining and has better capability in dealing with radioactive waste. Generally, amongst the better educated and better informed people in Malaysia, they would like to see the waste being uh, removed from. Malaysia to return to Australia, but you know, as, as we know, there are serious legal implications um, mm. if if that happens, and of course, the cultural implications because it's absolutely not okay to bring that radioactive waste back to Indigenous land. It's mm. not mm. acceptable under any circumstances. Yep. Exactly, and which you know goes to show how this company Linus has created a big mess, which has kind of no end in sight to, to resolve in a satisfactory manner mm. because there, there won't be a third country no. willing to accept that mess. No. Mm. So what are so, Abewatch and other mm. partners working to stop Linus's ridiculous yeah, plans well, doing? Yeah, the damage is done to a certain extent, but what we want to see is the radioactive waste be dealt with in the you know, safest possible way. Eight Watch immediate in our immediate future is looking at lodging a complaint under the OECD specific instance mechanism where NGO and individual can take multinational enterprise to task by lodging a complaint to the respective countries' uh, national contact point. The national contact point is set up to take charge of ensuring cooperation that's here to the OECD guidelines for cooperation or multinational enterprises. It is a soft law approach. It's not to say that we won't look at legal avenues, but you know, it's difficult in Malaysia because of the politics. Uh, and in Australia, there's no regulation to control Australian uh, companies' mm. operation overseas. So, you know, I mean, it's not to say there isn't any legal avenue. We will explore that as well, that this new information and data becoming available from Malaysia. So, I mean, but right now we're doing research mainly to look at 
what are the problems and uh, you know what we can do. But immediately, our aim is to put in a submission through the ANCP, the Australian National Contact Point, using the OECD guidelines for multinational corporations. How do you think that the recent appointment of Matthias Cormann, who you know has not got a good history mm. on climate or environment issues, how do you mm. think his appointment as the chief of the OECD will affect any potential complaint through the OECD? Um, of course, I mean, being the head of, well, being at the helm of OECD countries, he has a lot of power. Mm. But at the same time, the OECD organisation is watched and scrutinized by the international civil society. Um, there's actually an organization or network of organizations known as the, as the OECD Watch. It has taken many of these um, NGOs decades to get to where we've got today. They're not going to easily let Matthias Corman undermine everything. Certainly, um, I hope in not. fact, I hope not mm-hmm. either. No, it can have policy uh, impact, even if we can't get immediate justice. And it does cast the spotlight on the corporation concern, making it uh, hopefully a bit harder for them to gain investment and and to get green credential, at least to expose the greenwashing part Mm. of it. Yeah. Yeah. And also to, you know, deliver some justice, providing a bit of freedom of expression for Malaysians. Mm, and a bit of accountability not do it. for Ryan's. Yeah, yeah, within their country. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, and that's what we're trying to do right now. Mm. Such important work, Lee. Think about the implication of so-called energy transition. It's not all so glorious as you know, we like to make it out to be the Green New Deal and all that. Yeah, we need to tackle climate change. But we cannot forget about the environmental degradation and destruction and human rights abuses associated with the mining supply chain or mineral supply chain. So, yeah, and that's what listeners can do in their decision making. We've got to really look at our consumption and not always relying on high technology. Um, or advanced technology to solve um, the problems that we have created to meet our insatiable demand for consumption. That's so true, Lee. Thank you so much for taking the time to explain all that to us on the show today. We will certainly get you back on the show to keep us updated on any developments in the future. There's quite a road ahead by the sounds of it. Yes. Thank you, Mara, and thank you so much for this opportunity to air um, yeah, thank you. Thanks so much to Lee Tan from AidWatch for talking us through the many problems associated with Linus Rare Earths, who seem to be getting special treatment in both Malaysia and Australia for geopolitical reasons, yet the potential impacts on human and environmental health are enormous. While rare earths are important for many renewable energy technologies, we can't let the transition to renewables replicate the negative impacts of extractive industries. To learn more about AidWatch and the Linus campaign, go to www.aidwatch.org.au. Thanks for listening to the Radioactive Show. You can download the podcast of this program at www.3cr.org.au slash radioactive. 
If you'd like to get in contact, you can email us on radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. The Radioactive Show was produced with the support of Friends of the Earth's Ace Nuclear Freak Collective in the studios of 3CR on the lands of the Wurundjeri people in Fitzroy, Victoria. It's broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Thanks for listening and tune in again next week for more news and views on nuclear, peace and energy issues.